Um, questions and answers. We'll put, uh, does that, I hope that all makes sense. If something doesn't make sense, that's a good question. <laughs> I want to just add one thing quickly. Yeah. You know, Brad was talking about sometimes as Christians, we, we expect <clears throat> this incredible favor because we are beloved of God and sons and daughters of God. And um, so I'm going to ask one little quick question. If, if you were, if, if you've had the privilege of employing people, would you employ a Christian who's a little bit lazy, um, who's a bit negative, a bit critical, or would you employ a non-Christian who, who works hard, who is not negative and not critical? It's a bit of a no-brainer, hey? I don't care whether you're Christian or non-Christian. Um, anybody in an environment who affects others and the atmosphere of, of being positive and, and contribution and teamwork. So basically I say all of that to say some Christians are stuck in a place. And you can ask God for all the wisdom and the knowledge that you want. But also let the Holy Spirit fill you to such a place that you are transformed as you gaze upon Christ. That you are transformed and that, that stuff of the old nature, you, you die to it. You, you, you go, I'm dead to that. I'm crucified to that negative thing. I'm alive in God. I have the Spirit of God. I have the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control, humility. But I just wanted to say, sometimes we're stuck. Not because God is absent or because He's not giving us wisdom and knowledge, but just because we actually are not fellowshipping with the Spirit of God and allowing Him to transform us from one degree of glory to another. Mm. Yeah, amen. That's good, yeah, Greg. That's good. I just want to know your opinion on job satisfaction. So obviously you were saying how like not everything's going to be peachy. Um, and in my very small time in my job, I'm not feeling satisfied, but I've been reflecting and thinking like, well, what does God want for my life? I feel like he does want a level of joy and satisfaction in what I do on the daily. Um, but I do understand that there's hard work involved. Um, and I know that some of your jobs might not have been satisfying and might have been hard, but... Yeah, I just wanted to know your opinion mm -hmm. on that. Uh, very good question. So, job satisfaction. Um, <clears throat> well, here we go. I don't think that's relevant for success. <laughs> the big lie that has come out in the world is, do what you love and you'll never have to work another day in your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah? Millennials, this has been preached to you guys, and Gen Z. Um, they've told you, actually, the world's your oyster, and you can do whatever you want, and you'll be successful. That's one in maybe 100,000 or a million. The other 99,999 of us have success... Because we do the right thing day after day after day, whether you like it or not. Here's the important thing, though. Your joy 
and your satisfaction comes from the cross and the work of Christ, not your job. The joy of the Lord is your strength. The moment you outsource your source of joy, you're setting your life up to be one that is manipulated by external circumstances and the devil will have a field day. The safest thing you can do is get your satisfaction and joy from Christ and Christ alone. That's what I would say. And honestly, I've had that same struggle. <laughs> For many years, I did stuff I didn't want to do. But brought success. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, look, look, if you... Now, clearly, if, if God has told you to be some place, and if you know like you know, this is where I'm meant to be, I'm learning a particular skill, or I'm adding value to a company in a certain way... You do it. If you are in the wrong place and you're not satisfied, well, find out where the right place is and, and be there, whether you're satisfied or not. Because this, he's Lord. You know, just picture a kingdom, like think England 1300s, and you've got the peasants and you've got the king. We're the peasants, he the king. And if the king said, guys, this field... For the next year, I want you to dig it and grow me potatoes. You did it. You had no choice. Today's world has a, an illusion of choice about what you can and cannot do to succeed. Just don't buy into it. It's a lie. And, and here's the problem. That lie of do what you love and you'll never work another day in your life sets you up in a mindset that now you can't just do what God wants you to do. Think about it. You're, this is what I love doing. And if God says go there, 90 degrees to it. Hmm, no, this is what I love doing. So now you're in disobedience to God. So it's, 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 it's critical. It's a matter of the heart. It's actually really good. I would say just commit. Pray to God. Get wisdom. Succeed. Once you're succeeding in that job, Look to be promoted somewhere else because the quickest way to grow your income and your career as a young person is to be successful in the current place and to jump a position up at another company after, uh, you know, these days, like one year. No, but like if, if, if I'm looking at CVs, I need to see someone's been around for three to five years because then I know I've got three to five years with that person right. because I know that the first year I'm investing in them, the second year we might be on break even, the third year they might be adding money to the, to the business. So that's how people look at your CVs for, for you as young people. Three to five years. If you hop too often, I, if I just look at someone's CV. If I see they're changing a job every year, statistically, just the probabilities, you don't even need the Spirit of God to tell you this. <laughs> they're going to change jobs in a year. <laughs> right so just be careful to so that's what i said you just get in there be successful and you will find success itself is satisfying okay good question was there another one at the back there yeah brad just uh on a principle that a lot of youth ministries are preaching and people as christians have taken to sowing and reaping how would you address that? Sowing and reaping? Yeah. Yo, you see, here's the problem. <clears throat> we want to sow so that, we can. 
in one way, and we want to reap in another way. If you take God's wisdom, understanding, knowledge, and you apply it through disciplined action consistently, you could call that sowing, good seed. You will reap from that. But to say, after the cross, because before the cross we can find plenty of examples that you can, you can sow in one way and perhaps reap a different way. But in Genesis, Jesus said, each, Jesus, I suppose, Jesus said, each seed produces after its own kind. Okay, so if you, let's, let's get very real. You want to put money into the offering so that God will give you a promotion. If you did that to a judge, you would go to jail. If you did that to the boss of a company, he would not be able to hire you and he would be fired. Think about that. Why is God any different? So you can't, you can't do that. You don't have, you, as we discussed on the weekend, so Ephesians 1, 17. I think it's 17 or 7. You have been blessed, it's definitely chapter 1. You have been blessed with every spiritual blessing, which in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, which means this transaction now of us giving is because we love and we see the causes worthwhile. Why would I spend my time praying, seeking God, and then acting upon it to create businesses and companies to fund the gospel if I was trying to reap something. None of it's reaping. It's because I love the lost. I want to see them saved. And you need money. So, sowing and reaping in the sense of I'm receiving God's wisdom and I'm applying and doing it diligently. Okay, fine. You will reap from that. Sowing in the reaping in the sense of, I'm bribing God, let's be honest, I'm bribing God so that he will do something and give me a favor. Mm -mm. No, this is weird. This, the, the, it's not biblical. You can actually go look at tithing and giving after the cross, and it comes from a desire to support the gospel. So we give money to this church, to Emmanuel. Why? Because we believe that it is a place where the gospel and the people of God are growing and maturing together. It is a place where people can be discipled and it takes money. Because if everyone's working at jobs and stuff and no one can actually have this in their minds, this will fade away. So that's why we need to give money here. So that this doesn't fade away. But it's a fruit. I don't do that so that God can bless me. I do that because God has blessed me. And what is the blessing of Abraham? Look at all of Abraham's wealth. What did Paul say the blessing of Abraham was? Galatians 4 or 5. The Holy Spirit. Where do you get wisdom and knowledge and understanding from? The Holy Spirit. He is the blessing of Abraham. You can be as rich as Abraham. And while we're there... <clears throat> Because we can be. <laughs> Not from his cattle and herd did he give, but the spoils of war he tithed to Melchizedek. And then he gave the other 90% to the heathens. 
So, so I'm, I'm sharing that with you so you can be on guard against something which says you can improve your spiritual status before God, thereby getting a benefit or favor from Him. You can't. You cannot beat the cross. It's superior to everything. It's beautiful. But that does not mean that we're not generous. You know, Vix, Vix and I have had opportunity to give more money in lump sums than ever before. And I can say that because I don't care about you finding out and thereby I lose my blessing from the Father. <laughs> I will gladly give up anything I have earned from my giving because I've got something way better. It's a cross. And I'm like, look, do you really want to try earn the financial blessing of God? I don't. So we give way more now. You can say that. Boasting in Jesus. Boasting in his wisdom, diligently applied, because without his wisdom, I wouldn't have done a great job. I would have tried stuff, but maybe it would have succeeded, maybe not. I wouldn't have had the discipline. I was quite lazy, distracted. I remember the days before the gospel grew up in me. I was like surfing the internet, spent hours just looking on the internet at stuff. What? I don't know. I can't even remember. I think it was like cricket scores. I didn't even like cricket. Just like anything to avoid doing work. Like, like I just, like it was like my right. It's my right to have a break. I'm going to look at BBC Sports. Instead of next meeting, who's next? Let's talk. Let's strategize. Let's plan. Let's implement. You do that enough, things succeed. So, I don't know. Is that answering the context you are in? Uh huh. Yeah. Amen. Hmm. Yeah. Yep. So don't get tempted to buy God. That's just, you just don't do it. But don't be stingy. <laughs> give and give generously because this gospel needs money. Because we need people who are dedicated and thinking about it all day and taking it to the nations. That's why we need successful businesses. Because we can use this, the power of God into our businesses to create wildly successful businesses. You can have 10 Porsches. It doesn't matter, really, if you want that. But... You also have lots of money for the gospel. All right, next question if there is one. I know, I get a bit amped about that. God, I just want to stir um, an answer from you. The um, rest. So <laughs> the Hebrew word for rest is nuach, which is, the, which is Noah. And I think of uh, project managers, probably one of the most stressful jobs that you can get. So I just want to stir something in you because for me that's um, operating in rest but doing a stressful job like that. I just want to like, maybe see if you can just stir us with a bit of wisdom for that. Because mm -hmm. okay? yeah. I mean he, that was the biggest engineering project probably in the entire scripture. But um, I mean he did it with like an absolute faith and yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. So a specific example on project management, the stress that it can be. So you're trying, to, you're trying to manage resources and deliverable at the same time. For me, it rest in that case really hinges a lot on what we allow into our heart. 
So in project management, often what we find is that we're trying to plan for contingencies before they happen. We can allow that to come to us as fear, or we can allow God's wisdom to flow through us so that we can understand what can take place and know that we have the contingencies in place for it. So I think operating through the wisdom of God over your plans that you've created brings a massive amount of peace and rest. Like it does. It does. Um, like I'm trying to use the spirit to discern here, like the heart of, of it, because if we generalize this, in any job that places a demand on you and a sense of accountability, you can very easily get out of rest by the stress that you perceive because of the demand. Does that make sense? In that way, people exit God's rest. Because now, instead of being in a position of the Holy Spirit and I, plus the team around us, can handle anything, you're entertaining the idea that something can come along and disrupt it so that you can't deliver. That can mess it up so that you fail to deliver. That does happen, by the way. We do fail. To be honest, if you're in any mature business with mature leaders, we've all experienced it, and we absolutely accept it. As long as we can see you've diligently applied yourself and that you're not just dropping the balls because you're incompetent or lazy. Right? I mean, any, like anyone, senior person here, like I just see lots of people nodding. We all concur on that. We know these things happen. So I would say it's the perceived risk of failure which moves us out of a place of peace and trusting the wisdom of God that actually with Him all things are possible. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We get moved off of that and into a place of unrest and uneasiness where now we're back to what I said there was fretting and fearing, acting without hearing God. Now we're just, just doing whatever so that it looks good and on the surface it looks like we're busy, but we're actually just making it worse. I don't know, Nick, does that kind of start to touch towards... Okay, there we go. All right, brilliant. Yeah? So I think one of, the, one of the notions that is incorrect in Christianity is to believe that when we are led by the Spirit, it's always at the last minute. Hmm. It's like, it's, yeah, if you're not spontaneous, then it's not the Spirit. If you've actually thought through this and, and planned, then it's, not, then it's not the Holy Spirit. What Brad's saying is actually you partner with the Holy Spirit and you plan for what's going to come. And you say, God, what are the possibilities? What are, what's your wisdom and knowledge here? If you had to go and write an exam, I mean, we've ordered an exam at some stage in our lives. Some of you are still writing them. What causes stress and anxiety more? Being unprepared? Yes. And just saying, okay, Holy Spirit, help me now. <laughs> or, or being prepared and saying, Holy Spirit, guide and lead me so that I will have a sense of what what I should focus on here. There's too much to learn. What should I focus on? That, so what I'm trying to say is don't fall into the trap whereby 
you don't prepare with Holy Spirit because if you've got a massive project and you're a project manager, partner with Holy Spirit in preparation. That, that preparedness helps a hang of a lot. There may be something you didn't think of, but it's okay, He's with you and you've co-labored with Him to kind of towards it. Amen. Amen. When problems come up, it's a perfect opportunity to draw on the wisdom and strength of God. So that when the... Pre- so if now I'm speaking to employees rather than employers, employers, if you have uh, venture capital and private equity in your business, they're going to watch this. So someone's watching. What are they watching? They're watching to see how do you handle stress and pressure. When the chips are down, what do you do? Man, there is nothing better than Jesus Christ in those circumstances. You will stand strong. You won't fret. You're not going to run around the office saying the sky is falling. You're rather going to go like, okay, guys, we need to get together. Look at this. It's a client. Massive contract. They've just canceled. We're now 30% down on our yearly revenues. We're going to miss our toga completely. And if we do that, we know that we're going to have to make retrenchments. Okay? It's a big problem. Real scenario that happens in lots of businesses. In that moment, you can choose to draw on the wisdom of God, understand perhaps their ways of rescuing that contract, perhaps there's other clients you can upsell to, perhaps there's new clients that you can work with. Your options are limited because it's this year. So, you know, if you have a longer, if, if, you know, if your conversion takes a longer period of time, it takes time. But you ask God and you respond with the wisdom that he's giving you. You don't have to have it all in your own mind. And then as a team, you can lead people. And one of the primary things a leader does is help people to feel strong, safe, and secure. And a team that feels strong, safe, and secure has a higher probability of succeeding than one you just walk in, rant all over, upset, emotionally disrupt, and leave. (laughs) That's poor leadership. So, when problems come, it's an opportunity for the glory of God to shine through your life. And then people are going to say, yo, you're always so calm in these circumstances. Why? Isn't that a lovely opportunity? Yeah. Okay, any, any other questions? Okay, well. Someone on this side think of a question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. How's it, Brad? Hey. Um, just two questions. The first one is, so I'm, I'm in auditing, so you can imagine I need a serious grace. Yeah. Um, but just like it's a three-year trainee contract, so, and it's very dry, mm-hmm. very dry. What is, where's the balance between pursuing the desires of your heart? Because God speaks to us through our imagination, and some of those ideas are massive and very exciting. To the other side of the scale of we just need to put our head down and get through these three years. That's the first question. Second question is we know in Christ we have life and life more abundantly and in us is rivers of living water. How does that infiltrate into our day to day and into those heart desires we have? And I know the answer to this, but I want to ask it. I also felt led to ask this. Can we experience the day to day abundant life in a job we don't enjoy or even in a life we particularly don't enjoy when the situation is against us? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I was, uh, I, I, met, I caught up with a, an old friend today uh, mutual friend of Greg and ours, Ryan. And we were just sharing about the early Christians, how 
When they were persecuted, they were singing songs of joy. When they were in the Colosseum about to get charred, they were praising God. And here we are in our lives with a little bit of discomfort and we're cursing him. And we're wondering where he is. So, absolutely, we need to have the, the joy on the inside and the, the life and life abundant. It's Zoe life. That's, for me, the Holy Spirit. That's not car, house, family, kids. That does, that's, that's not abundant life because God's called some of us to be celibate. So young people, you don't have to get married, by the way. Just so you know. You get, you get married because you don't have the gift of celibacy. If you have the gift of celibacy, like Paul, and you can devote your life to God, do it. I think that's a great example because some people will be like, oh, wow, like, I could never be celibate. Like, that ain't going to work, right? But Paul said... What was his motivation? He says, I want to free you up so that your mind can be about the gospel. Can you see, we, we're worried about our life and everything going okay in our life. And over here we have Paul saying, guys, some of you just won't get married. And you can devote more time to God because a husband needs to actually think about how to please his wife. And a wife needs to think about how to please the husband. And that's going to take up time that you otherwise could have spent on the gospel. Do you see how far our paradigm has shifted? So now we look at life and life abundant, and we don't think of the Zoe spirit life. We think of external realities. We actually, he, and you said rivers of living water, exactly that. You have rivers of living water in you so that you may be part of that Ezekiel 47 river, which is expanding out and touching the nations and bringing healing and hope and life at every level of society. But it doesn't look in a particular way. We, we're very conditioned, and, and Vix and I have commented on this a lot, those of you who've met us, we've said this. Durban North is very conditioned to what a successful life looks like. House, car, family, um, nice clothes, this, that, the next thing. E London, way more money than Durban, okay? Just, like, way less material. Doesn't matter. Like, one guy's wearing Nikes. Everyone has an iPhone. So, it's like, you having your iPhone means nothing. You having your Nikes means nothing. You having an Apple Watch means nothing. The bus driver has an Apple Watch. Being a garbage collector is actually a good service to society. Without them, the streets would be full of trash. They are serving us, and they should be celebrated. As opposed to Durban North, what do you do? I'm a garbage collector. Nice. <laughs> I don't want to associate with you. It's a lowly job. So, the, the, so we have to be very careful how we define. So sorry, I'm answering this in a bit of a, like an interesting way. Life and life abundant, we can't define it as the world does. We have to define it as God does. And Jesus was the best example of an abundant life. You said two questions. I've kind of only really answered one. 
Mm -hmm. So the desires of our heart. If we are submitted unto the Lordship of Christ, the desire of our heart is Him. I'm sorry. (laughs) You're dead. What else do you want? Can a dead man want anything? (laughs) What we're doing is we're taking an Old Testament scripture where it says the Lord will give you the desires of your heart. And we're applying it to a new covenant reality. The new covenant says you died with Christ. And you have raised up as a Christ man. One in whom Christ lives. So it's not about your desires anymore. This is about his. He's the Lord. I have a field. Got potatoes. Go plant. This is it. Man, I can tell. Some people are sitting here going like, "Uh uh-uh. I I don't even think I need to discern that prophetically, but I do. I feel the resistance. Why? Because we've been preached a wrong gospel. I'll take a moment. The gospel is not come to Jesus and he'll make your life better, fix your marriage, help you succeed in work, and um, make you a better parent and stop you from cheating on your wife or something. That's not the gospel. The gospel is you have a sin problem. It's like a virus. It's at work in your members, causing you to do that which is not godly. If you continue on this path, along with sin, you will be destroyed. Now you recognize that and you're like, wow, I don't want to be destroyed. I don't want my life to be destroyed. And for some of us, we honestly just think, you know what? I don't want to go to hell. (laughs) That sounds scary. Jesus comes along and says, well, actually, I took sin on head on. And I can destroy that virus, which is influencing your body and your mind in the background, unbeknown to you. I can destroy that. So that it no longer influences you. But, here's the but, the condition is, you have to believe what I did on the cross was sufficient. And you have to make me Lord. You you can't just believe the cross was sufficient, you have to make him Lord. That's what Paul said, he said, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And confess with your mouth that he's Lord. Please don't get word of faith on me and go like, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord. And that's going to change your life. That's not. What does confess him as Lord is? That means you are acknowledging him. You're the king. I'm going to obey you. So the problem is we've come into Christianity. That's life enhancement. And that's why there's a resistance to you're not going to get the desires of your heart. Your old desires are dead. He is going to put new desires in your heart. Now, that could quite well be what you're asking. And if you're speaking of the new desires in the heart from Christ, well, then the type of job that you have doesn't matter because it's a means to an end. Because the new desire in your heart is Matthew 28, 18. You want to obey your Lord? Go make disciples. Hmm. That's what we're doing. We're making disciples. 
That's our mission. Literally, that is the Christian mission, to make disciples. We all may have a slightly different role in that, and a different uh, sphere of influence. If you're in government, you lobby for and create policies which facilitate the creating of disciples so that the sharing of gospel... So if you were in the Chinese government and you were a Christian, what would you do? Right? You would try to change it so that it's easier to make disciples. If you're a business person and you're using the wisdom and the power of God and you're having phenomenal success and, a, and really you're reaping millions, and I'm not joking, millions upon millions upon millions of rands. That's not hard. So re- really, like we have to break any mindset which says 10 bars is a lot of money. It's not. It's not. That's, very, that's a very little amount of money. Okay. You got, you got the king of kings wisdom here. <laughs> like, that's nothing. Okay, so, now that you've got all this money, what do you do? I can promise you, cars get boring, holidays get tiring, food, you know, the most expensive meal I think I've had is about 8,000 rand. Like, my Spur burger was better. <laughs> and I'm not even being funny. Like, it was these tuppers things, and it just was, it was just like not me. I was like, ah, this is a bit of a waste. The thousand rand for a glass of wine kind of tasted good, but it's counterproductive to my goal of building muscle to drink too often on alcohol. So I'm like, eh, I don't really like that. But giving money to take care of children is meaningful. My desire has changed. Earning money to pay for crusades in Africa and South America is very meaningful. So the desires have changed. Life abundant means I can take this life and work with all the strength and vigor that the grace of God gives me, because it does, so that he may receive all the glory. Because if I'm doing it out of my strength, then I should receive part of the glory. And God's not unjust. You should receive part of the glory. So give it all to him by using his strength. And earn a lot of money. And give a lot of money. Because the desires of my heart have changed. So that the gospel may prosper. Because this is all about the gospel. This is all about making disciples. Even if you live, as I think Science Today or whatever that magazine was said, people born today are going to live to 150. It's nothing compared to eternity. You do it on the calculator, it always gives you an E. (laughs) Because it's like eternity. You know, it just can't do it. The math doesn't make sense. So why do we have, why do we live for now? So that's what I'm going to say. So so to answer that, the desires are two part. One, if it's the old man desires, I want to be rich, want to have a house, car, family, this, that, the next thing. Ah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry if they lied to you to make you a Christian. I I am. I, I actually, like I know that sounds funny, but I sincerely, I sincerely apologize to you. Because the gospel says you die and you say yes and you go under the water when you're baptized. You're dead. 
That's it. That was my last free will choice. I now don't have free will anymore. It's yours. I have submitted it unto Christ. It's game over. That's it. It's done. It's actually really liberating. Gets rid of sin, because now you're not like conflicted. So you're just like, ah, this, this is useless venture. I don't need to do that anymore. I don't have to get pleasure from the world. I'm not seeking that. I have pleasure eternal. I mean, the, the good news is the Holy Spirit fills us with raptures and ecstasies and joy beyond comprehension. If you haven't had that, man, I, I really recommend getting that. Because it's not like Christ takes from you and then leaves you poorer. He gives you a superior pleasure. Okay, there was a question. In terms of sometimes we're in a job that is, we feel it's not where God wants us to be and the dreams and visions of our heart are way bigger than this, this reality. Um, but just to say, Paul, Saul, he's converted, has a radical encounter with Christ. Radical. He, he meets Christ, he starts having great fellowship, and then for three, I think it's three and a half years. A long time, yeah. Three and a half years, he disappears into the Arabian desert where he just, is, he just grows in the gospel and is shaped by the gospel into obscurity before he comes back again and, and, hits, and hits the straps. So the, everybody sometimes has a preparation time. Even if God's given you amazing dreams, just allow God to shape you wherever you are. Whether you're in prison, like Peter was, it doesn't make a difference. That's where God's called me. I'm going to get through this, and God's going to use this to help me get there. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and don't get fixated on, life is short, I have to do it now. Yeah. It's the devil. God, God is not life is short. God is, <laughs> there's an eternity. And you know what? If you mess up these 10 years in the wrong thing, I'll give you another 10. Yeah. That's our dad. He can do that. If you were going to die at 80, just make sure you die at 90. <laughs> it's easy. <laughs> so don't worry about losing time. I used to be so afraid of losing time. And it just upset me. It's the wrong, it's the devil. He's stealing from you. Yeah, there is a question. I don't know if there's still a question there. Yeah. So just a quick question on, um, obviously money and business follows sort of the path of least resistance, generally, in principle. I mean, here in KZN and South Africa in particular, I mean, obviously business is extremely difficult to do because of government and corruption and all those sort of things. And then obviously money leaves the country and people invest offshore. Or we invest down in the Cape where it's easy to do business. But then in a sense, you're sort of turning your back on local problems that need to be solved. I mean, I don't know what your yeah. sort of take with, on, on that would be. Ex excellent question. So, for each of us, the specific action is going to be different. But it's going to be a measure of these two things. One, we're operating business to generate money to solve problems. And two, we're using that money to solve problems. So, you need to decide... Uh, with the Lord, obviously, I'm saying you need to decide. The, the, the oneness, the new creation decides. It's you and Holy Spirit decide. Okay, I can get a, over the next 10 years, I can double or triple this money. That's pretty feasible. All right? If I move, take it to Cape Town or take it to S&P 500, whatever. Okay? If I invested it here, 
Uh, like in Durban. I'm just making this up. Please don't shoot me. I'll get a 25% return, okay? So I've made an extra 25 So this is far less profitable to do the business. What if we didn't have a short-term view and we took a long-term view? And we, now this is your heart has to like judge yourself here. Although you shouldn't judge yourself, but you'll know. What if we took a longer term view? I'm going to take the next 10 years and I'm really going to work this and we're going to work it with the business and we're going to generate and create something meaningful and wealth, which we can't do here in this environment. And then I'm going to import the money again to bring the change. Because in the example I shared, if you're, if you're going to get a very small return here and you're going to get a 300 versus a 25, so what's that, like 4, 8, 12, 12 times more. You can do 12 times more good by taking a slightly longer route than by being driven the, by the present need. The problem is, even in Jesus' day, the poor you will always have with you. There's always going to be poor. So you've you got to pray to Jesus about that and say, okay, am I going to take all the money off and get the maximum return? Am I going to do a little bit now and most of it? Am I going to do a 50-50 and I'm going to do most here and a little bit off? Sure. You have to pray about that. But you don't, you don't have to feel bad about going after a big return. Legitimate. Don't, like not stupid stuff. I'm not like, oh, let's, let's go crypto gambling. No. Like legit business, Okay. God is into fruit. Remember the parable Jesus taught about the tree that hadn't borne any fruit? Okay, and he was speaking about Israel, I think. And he was like, well, they, they haven't borne any fruit. And he was like, just cut it down, right? And the gardener was like, no, no, I'm going to dig around it. And we're going to fertilize it to see that it brings fruit. Because God is into fruit. John 14 and 15, he says, remain in the vine and you will bear much fruit. And it is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, fruit that lasts. So with your money, God wants strong returns. To be a Christian and just to leave your money in a savings account, generating minimal return, when with no risk you could put it in a money market account from your bank, is not good. That's not pleasing God. God wants a return. Everything must produce a return. Where much is given, much is expected. Now, I don't want to... Yeah, I will. <laughs> You've been given the Holy Spirit. You've been given Christ. <laughs> to finish the sentence, what's expected? But not in a heavy-handed way from our Father. He loves us. He guides us. He coaches us. But He does want fruit. Our lives are not to be fruitless. Christ didn't die for nothing. He said, unless a seed falls to the ground, it won't grow up and have a harvest. So in business, there must be fruit. In our lives as Christians accepting the gospel, there must be fruit. If there isn't fruit, 
It doesn't mean try and make fruit. The gospel itself produces fruit. Just focus back on the cross. So if your life is lacking fruit, just go back to the sufficiency of the cross. Because the, as Christians, I don't really believe we have to grow. I believe we have to surrender and allow the gospel to grow in us. And there's a massive difference between the two things. To force yourself to grow gets us into a self-development Christianity which sucks and is legalism and is hard and tires and burdens you out. To surrender and allow the gospel to grow in you means it will produce the fruit because you're connected to the vine. And your life will look completely different. But you've not tried to change. You've been changed by the message. That's why Jesus shared the gospel and he said, the, the king, what should I like the kingdom of God to? It's like someone who took yeast and worked at it and it leavened the whole dough. Because the message works its way through you. And, and we're hoping, you know, the gospel in business. That's one area it's working its way through. Yeah, okay, any other questions? Maybe one more question, I don't know. If you have any questions. Oh, okay. Yeah, sorry. I'm asking, I'm busy talking to Jesus, my mistake. <laughs> I have one from a leading side. Uh, I run a coffee shop. If you've got an environment where you're dealing with employees and you want to get things to move in a direction, but you're worried about your character and how you do it, because now you want to still stay on the same track, you don't want to... Like, I know business, business can be straight and you can do things a certain way and I never want to cross that boundary of, of working the way the world works. The world works in a way where you never give a chance to someone and the minute they fail, then you just kind of fire them and get rid of them. And my process I found is that he wants to solve a problem that someone might have rather than kick them to the curb and say, you got to deal with it for the rest of your life. Uh, how would you do that in a way that you, like, eventually hurts you in, in the business but i found there's a space like how do you actually do it so you both helping that person but also helping yourself at the same time yeah like, okay so with any problem whether it's people or systems or processes or the business in general is it just happening once or is it repeated because unfortunately if it's repeated it's unlikely to change yeah. and so even though you're a Christian, doesn't mean you can't fire someone. Don't think it's ungodly not to fire someone. It's actually godly to fire someone. I'll tell you why. If you've got a team and they are all working hard and there is one lazy person, or one competent person, it is unjust to the rest of the team to allow that person to remain. It's not godly. You see, we've got this thing that <laughs> you see, and this is the problem. So we think of Jesus as love through human love, not through God's love. But think about this. God's going to destroy sin. Anyone who continues on in sin is going to be destroyed with sin. How does a loving God do that? Not with our definition of love. Think about that. That's a challenge. 
So how do you fire someone whom you love? Because actually, you're setting that person free from this environment, and hopefully they're going to get a message. I need to change my approach to business, to my career, or I'm just going to lose the next job as well. Seriously. It's one of the best things you can do is fire someone. I know, that sounds weird. But we have this distorted view of what Christians have to be like in business. What is Christian character? It's just. And it's innocent. To, to be just means you cannot give equal bonuses to everyone. You can't. If someone is working hard and has applied themselves and someone else isn't, who deserves the bonus? Who deserves the raise? Who deserves to be rewarded? If you're on the receiving end of this, it sucks because you would like to get the bonus. And then you don't get the bonus. If you're not getting the bonuses and other people are, that is a huge warning bell for you. Because the next thing's your job. Hmm? Any of us who run businesses, this is the way it works. And it's not, it's not that I'm too harsh. I'm very loving. I, I will sit with someone. I will hear from the Holy Spirit. I will hear from that person. How did this happen? Let's understand it. Let's work through it. This happened the last time and the last time. Remember back in September? Yeah. You remember back in July? Yeah. We had the same problem. This keeps repeating. You now in a disciplinary, because you know, most countries, the labor law says you need to put someone into disciplinary. They need to know exactly what they've done wrong. Follow the process because it's actually pretty just. Put them into disciplinary. Let them know. If this thing doesn't change, which you and I have agreed is a good thing that must change, you don't have a job here anymore. It's unjust just to walk in, upset with someone, and fire them. That's not nice. But to walk them through a process where they understand so they have opportunity to change. That's the key. Give them opportunity to change. That's, that's what God does. Unless you repent, you too will perish. Huh? That's what the scripture says. So he's giving everyone an opportunity to change. He's giving everyone an opportunity. But if you don't change, there is an unpleasant outcome coming. But he gives us opportunity to change. So we follow, the princip- we follow what, what the guidelines are. They're very just. You let someone know. And you, you know, if you have to release that person because they just won't change, release them because it's like a body that has cells that are misfunctioning. What, 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 what happens? Well, one of two things. We either pray so those cells are deleted, right? Call it cancer. You pray so the cancer is healed, so it, so it goes away. Or you have it cut out or burnt or chemoed or whatever. You don't leave a body with a cancerous thing growing and destroying it. You don't leave a company with misfunctioning, malfunctioning people. And if you're a misfunctioning or malfunctioning person, please hear me today. Take the wisdom of God. Take the discipline from God and apply it so that you may add benefit and value to the business because it will save your job. Otherwise, I guarantee you, you're going to lose your job. It's a hard-hitting question, but... Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Do you want to add one more thing there? Um, 
Sometimes we think that because we have the grace of God and we think grace always looks like something. So we think if a person does that and it's not helpful, it can be in marriage, it can be in a relationship with a friend, it can be in a work environment. Grace means, you know what? I'm bigger than that. I'm not going to let it bother me. But, but you're actually deceiving yourself because it did bother you and it did affect the atmosphere. Grace doesn't mean turn a blind eye. So God never turned a blind eye to sin. He faced it head on in Christ and he dealt with it. Hmm. He deals with things. So grace just means the way you handle something. So if you're married and there's a problem, grace doesn't mean oh, it's just going to disappear because the grace of God's all over me. It's just going to disappear. No, you talk to that person. Hey, hmm. you know when you did that, this is how I felt. And it didn't feel so good. And, but grace operates now because of the way that you say it and the love that you share it with. So grace doesn't mean turn a blind eye and just let people get away with anything. Mm. Mm. No, that's good. And, and just, just, let's just clarify grace. Grace in Christianity before the cross means that when we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That, that is vital. But it doesn't mean that we can abuse the grace of God in that we can then just go on and live any way we want to. Take any of the epistles and you will find the same logical approach from Paul. He establishes who Christ is, what Christ did, and then what you now as one who has Christ in you, can do and live. And it's summed up in love others. So in business, we love others. We do it in a loving way. We do. But with, with, with the gospel, with grace, we, we need to be very specific what grace is. And I'm, I'm speaking to a few people right now, but I can just sense in my spirit, there's like this thing of like, mm, but the grace of God. We need, my challenge to you, would be to define very specifically what the grace of God is. Make it concrete and not abstract so that you are able to apply it to your life. Because if you look at Jesus' teachings, you will see that he didn't extend grace to everyone he spoke to. Some people, in the way that we define grace, some people, he said to them that they are opposing God and the kingdom. And that they are making people sons of hell. Right? That's Jesus. And he came full of grace and truth. So, Make grace concrete. It's, it's a very helpful thing for your theology. Because while grace is just grace, charis, root word joy, okay? While it is joy, grace can be anything. Which means that you can excuse anything. But we do have a holy God. And he does demand righteousness, which he has supplied through the cross. 
And that is a very establishing thing. We should make righteousness a big deal, not a small deal. We should make holiness a big deal, not a small deal. Grace doesn't make holiness small and irrelevant. Holiness is still holiness. But you're holy because of what Christ did. And that's why we're Christians. Because we believe that his work was sufficient to reach a certain level of holiness and righteousness called perfection, which we couldn't do. So, so for those of you who, and I can feel the struggle, which is why I'm raising it, I can feel the struggle that in, the, in heart, people's hearts you're saying, but that's not grace. Go scripture by scripture, not, <laughs> systematically, book by book. I don't mean go just concordance, look up all of the scriptures that mention the word grace. and that, that's, you, that's tough. Go through the New Testament. Read it from start to finish. This, this is not a short exercise. From, if you take it seriously, it's not a short exercise. Read the New Testament from start to finish and define grace. Just read it with that one goal. What is grace? And just read and read and read. Make it concrete. Because when you do, you will then be able to see what grace is and what grace isn't. And grace isn't that we can just do whatever. Grace establishes the lordship of Jesus and obedience to a life that does works which he prepared in advance. Those scriptures are all post the cross. So, yep. Okay. Cool. There we go. All right. <laughs> All right, so thank you, Brad. Um, wonderful. It's good to ask questions. We learn a lot when we ask questions, and we listen to answers. And um, I just, just the big exhortation is: you're not alone in business. You have the Holy Spirit. You have God. Access His wisdom and His knowledge to bring His glory to planet Earth to make this look a little bit more like heaven than it does now. That's the that's the call upon our lives. But thank you for sharing your heart with us, your experiences, um, some of what you've learned over these years. We really do value that, eh? and you. Bless you. Okay, guys, thank you for coming. <laughs>